0: Welcome to Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from outside Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm the Smoke Master General, Trey Devon. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves.
1: So, what's the over/under on the amount of guys that come by with a muffler way too loud for their twelve? I think twelve during the during the pod during
0: the podcast. I think twelve is is a good over/under. I, I would I'll take the over. <laughs>
1: I'm, you know, I'm a bastion of masculinity, as all will know, and I still don't get the how loud can I make my vehicle? That's part of That's because your masculinity is not as fragile as theirs is. Uh, being a bastion makes it, yeah, <laughs> makes it less likely.
0: Well, it is so funny. We go into like we talk about it on the show quite a bit. We talk about what it means to be a man and masculinity and things like that. And I just I find the people that. Find it necessary to put the huge muffler and the, you know, outside of us discussing it for the purpose of the show. I don't think about my level of masculinity. It's not important to me. I don't care how I'm perceived. It doesn't. It doesn't. I feel like the people with the truck nuts and the 16-inch lift and but only drive the truck to Walmart. I I I think those are the kinds of people that worry way too much what other people think of them.
1: I was going into a restaurant to have lunch today and parked outside was a jeep had to be seventy thousand dollar jeep he had the big kc lights and the winch on the front and all the, the
0: bells and whistles yeah
1: never, I, I actually walked in and said was there a zombie apocalypse and nobody notified me right how did the how how could you possibly utilize that vehicle why would you sink that kind of money now i'm i'm guilty Of sinking a little more money into my truck than absolutely necessary. But that's, I think, I think there is a line between
0: slight customization and personalization versus putting, spending an inordinate amount of money for functional devices that you'll never have a function for.
1: Right. You know, I've got, I bought most recently the two swing boxes that go up underneath my truck, um, my bed cover. They're toolboxes and they just swing out. They're great. And, all. and I was like, okay, yeah, this is a little bit extravagant and all, but I know I'll use them because especially yeah. during hunting season, I need somewhere to keep my first aid kit. I need somewhere to keep right. shells and clothes that, you know, I may or may not need during that day's hunt and things like that. So I, it, it was still grounded well enough Yeah. and all, but I just, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the deal is. I've never had the urge to have a loud vehicle. Matter of fact, I place a premium on quiet vehicles.
0: Yeah, and most people do, I think. You know, I, I when I bought my car, it actually had a, a muffler delete exhaust. It had a custom straight pipe exhaust, which on a 1.4-cylinder engine is the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, it, it, to be fair, it actually sounded great. But, again, I feel like it's not the car for it. Uh, so I actually went so far as to have it reverted back to stock. So I I agree with you to that point for sure.
1: Well, you brought the cigars this week. Tell me all about it. I
0: did. I am excited. I've been looking forward to this all day. I've actually been looking forward to it for about a week because I was going to have a smoke it last week. So I did a little work for a friend of mine and said, don't pay me in money, pay me in cigars. And I didn't even say, I I said, you know, a box of cigars and a middle reliever to be named later. Sure. And this guy comes back with a box of Placencia Alma Fuerte Salamones.
1: these come in a 10 or a 20? A 10. Okay, I thought they were a 10 count.
0: They retail for around 20 bucks a hit and uh, which is up there Pedro money which we talk about a lot and that'll be important later. Uh, it is a Nicaraguan Puro binder, wrapper, filler, origin, factory. It's made and blended in the Placencia factory and it's this Salamone is, without a doubt, the shape for this cigar.
1: Is it the time of year in the cycle, or is Placentia putting a major push on the market?
0: So I think what it is, is that you and I are spending more time with Placencia than we usually do. You know, we recorded that show at Big Boys. It's been a couple of months now uh, where we smoked the Placencias, And I've always—I've largely stayed away from Placencia due to— uh, their cost uh, you know they it's not a budget run of the mill everyday smoke even even their budget version their version of a budget line is still up in that 16 15 range which i'm not just going to smoke on a thursday and then of course my birthday i grabbed one and now this so i i feel like i've been I've had more access to Placencia lately, but everyone I've ever known who talks about Placencia has only had good things to say about them.
1: Well, when you look, you know, if you're on the Facebook groups and you follow a couple of different cigar shops and all that, it seems like the Placencias are making a push on the market, at least around here. I don't know if they are abroad, but at least around here, the local shops seem to really be pushing the Placencias out. I would say Placencia has taken
0: the place of Illusione as the cigar smoker's cigar, or maybe Tatuaje as the cigar smoker's cigar. This is you know, this is the the unsung hero. Now, yes, you're gonna pay for it, but those who know, they get it, and you see why it costs what it does. And I think it's kind of that hidden gem that's
1: hidden in plain sight. The initial light, I'm getting a lot of really good flavors, really complex flavors Mm -hmm. going on in this. And I've got a little bit of that oak and honey. I've got a little bit of that um, just various different pieces and parts. You know, we could sit here and go through aficionado and use terms that nobody's ever actually tasted. Yeah, But I'm kind of getting chestnut. I'm getting a little chestnut.
0: That's funny because that was me last week. Um, I would say, so the... The notes from the Placentia website says dark chocolate, plum, and cinnamon, uh, with slight oak and molasses. And I've got to say, I I definitely get the plum and dark chocolate. Those yep. are the two flavors that I get right off the bat.
1: Yeah, I think I, that's kind of what I'm getting out of that too. I kind of I feel that in there, but they're just they're doing a good job of marketing. They're just doing a good job of pushing their marketing. And, well, and
0: they've got the cigar to back it up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, Gurkha will tell you, it, it don't matter how good your marketing is, if your cigar does not hold up, you will not hold up in the market. Right. And that's, you know, that's been proved by Gurkha. Now, here's the question. We've had a number of good cigars this year in the Padron money category. And it seems like every year we get more and more cigars in the Padron money category that are that are worth it, that hold up.
0: Yeah, and I think it's due largely in part to what we talk about on a weekly basis when it comes to cigars in that price point. Is that there is a gold standard in this industry, and it is the Padron Anniversary Series. And if you are going to compete on price in that segment of the market... You've got to be you've got to be able to compete on flavor profile complexity
1: and construction as well. Do you think Padron ever becomes a victim of their own success, in that they've been on top for so long and everybody else is pushing so hard? Because Padron can't really change what they do without losing a certain segment of their market.
0: Well, I mean, so two things that come to mind right off the bat when you say that number one is the Diamassa, which was awful um, and they sold a bunch more of those because of who they are but they I, I because they didn't follow it up with another stinker and they have such a good portfolio I don't think they lost from that now if every cigar since then was on the same level I think they would fall
1: well, you know, I think it's, you know, the Cuban cigar myth, that the Cubans are the best cigars. Um, at the time that myth was established, it was probably true. I, I I would say, yeah, it absolutely was true. But as Cuba has not advanced for whatever socioeconomic reasons... Well, the talent left. Yeah. as Socioeconomic reasons. And the... Other cigars have kept advancing. They've now outdistanced Cuban cigars, right? And all the, you know, the Davidoff has outdistanced the Cuban cigar. And if you're into that market, that mild to medium cigar market, and all the Davidoff has outdistanced them. And I wonder if we'll ever see a time in our life where that happens to Padron, where everybody else keeps getting better and better, and Padron stays the same.
0: I don't think so, because. If you look at the, the 50th and the 80th, they are the best versions of those cigars. You know, every time they come out with something to elevate. Now, you start when you start talking about those, you get into the $30 price point. So they're further elevating that top shelf, but they're also saying, come catch me. And I do think it's a rising tide that lifts all boats.
1: I do, too. It'll be interesting to see kind of how, how the years progress, how the years treat Padrón. And, uh, because they're, they're my industry standards You know, I was actually having a cigar the other day of a guy I, I know I didn't tell this story on the podcast I may have told it to you off the podcast And he said, I've never smoked a Padron And I said, don't <laughs> He said, what do you mean? I said, if you can live your life without smoking a Padron You'll never know what you're missing You'll never crave the $30 cigar and if all you're used to smoking is the 12 to $16 cigars and you never have the $30 cigar experience, you may come out ahead. I don't know. I think, you know,
0: you talk especially often about how the cigar itself is the experience. It's the journey, not the destination. And I think even if you don't, take the road trip to the Grand Canyon every year, it, it's nice to see it once.
1: Yeah, there's things, you know, there's things that are fun to do and there's things that are fun to talk about having done. Yeah. Um, deer hunting is one of the, is the prime example of this premise. Deer hunting is tough to do. When it's 18 degrees and there's ice and snow and you shoot a deer and you've got to drag him a mile up the hill and all of the actions, there's one, Uh, all of the... And that was a Corvette, not (laughs) a truck. (laughs) But all of the things, but it's more, but now telling the story of that deer, it it was a cold winter morning, it was 18 degrees and he... Wandered in and I was nearly you frozen. At me yeah, I had, I had to use my cigar lighter to thaw out my trigger finger enough to take him out. <laughs> you know, it's a lot more fun to talk about doing those things necessarily than to have actually done them. Right. <laughs> and also, I I just wonder about that well, sometimes.
0: Triathlon's the exact same way. Waking up at five a.m. to go run when it's bitter cold outside just for that one moment of glory in June. When you and then, yeah, you, I can talk about my races all day. I don't want to talk about my training.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it's interesting at the way life works like that. So, first article from Half Wheel Espinosa's Laranja Reserva Azuelo or as Az- Azulejo Azulejo arriving at storms. It takes me a second to pronounce that. That's fine. The Laran- Laranja Azulejo. It's from Espinosa. It's the third one in the La Ranja series. Which and I have
0: had one of the Laranja.
1: I've had the, um, I killed a deer. Actually, funny because I actually killed a deer while smoking a Laranja two years ago. And um, good cigars. Absolutely great cigars. And this one's got a great recipe dark Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Brazilian Araparaca binder, and fillers that come from Nicaragua. So beautiful label um, the price point not bad I mean you know the 6x 52 the Toro 1205 a bot yeah. 1205 a stick yeah not bad you know
0: it's funny because I don't see Espinosa in the stores around here at all and I wonder why that is in fact when I was living in Atlanta there was only one of the 93 shops that were in existence at the time that carried it. I wonder why that is So
1: it can only be one of two things. And I well, it can be one of a million things, but i've I've got two my top two reasons why. either a, they're just not good at marketing. They're a old company that has said our cigars are gonna stand on their own, and we don't have to fall into the marketing craze and do that.
0: That being said, their Instagram
1: account is very prolific and has been for a long time. Number two, they're making all the cigars they want to make a year, and they're selling all the cigars that they make. Uh, that's, that would be my theory. I would, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of value to that. If I would much rather have 100 customers that pay me $1,000 a year than 1,000 customers that pay me $10 a year. Right. Because you reach such a point of diminishing returns on your amount of upkeep on your clientele, the more product that's out there, the more defects there's going to be. The more you try to push them out, so it could they could just be that cigar company that they're selling all that they make every year, and they don't feel the need to put a push on it.
0: Yeah, it's very likely. But like I said, I've had uh, I've had the La Ronha, the one that came out in 2019, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, they they clearly are making a high
1: quality stick uh, when you can get your hands on it. Yeah, seems like a. I mean, I there was some in the um, cigar bash pack mm-hmm. that they gave us when we went to the cigar bash in Tampa, and I enjoyed them, enjoyed them a lot. I enjoyed the cream, I enjoyed I think, the Lorana. I think that maybe did you give me the yeah, one out? Of, I gave that's you what one. Was yeah, yeah. I, I, I was trying Lindus. to remember where
0: I got one. That was it.
1: Yeah, and it was excellent. So let's talk about a company that does have marketing figured out. La Gloria Cubana Criollo de Oro showcases the hybrid wrapper. Um, okay, what's criollo mean? I've looked that up. I know. Every or- time oro it means comes gold up and all, But So this is interesting. This line was a result of cross-pollinating criollo 98 and pelidoro seeds planted in the Mao, an area of the Dominican Republic. So now we're to the point where planting crops next to each other to kind of cross-pollinate them and do that. That's a, that's innovative. I like that. It's Creole. Creole. And um, it's made by Forged. Forged is going to be, well, it's not made by Forged. It's made in the General Factory, but it's going to be sold by Forged. Right. As and, all LaGloria is right now. Yeah, as all La Gloria is. Um, you know, there's Spirit of the Lady. We both smoked it, and it was excellent mm-hmm. in this series. Again, and- got some Art Deco on the box and the design that I'm all about. Yeah, actually, it's almost too similar to the spirit of the lady box for me.
0: It is very similar. Yes,
1: you know, I kind of would be, especially if you know my wife loves the spirit of the lady, and of course finding them is very difficult. So I'm looking to to get disappointed at a couple of times when I think I found her a new box of spirit of the lady, and it turns out to be Criollo de Oro. And also five and three quarter by fifty four and a seven by forty eight Churchill. You know the Churchill is rapidly becoming my favorite cigar. Is it? The, I'm I'm leaving the Gordo. The Gordo is starting to have less joy in my life, and I'm starting, and largely due to being on the podcast with you and smoking a lot of smaller ring gauge cigars. Um, and 10.49 for the Toro, 10.99 for the Churchill. Good pricing.
0: And I'll yeah, it is remarkable. I just looked up the Spirit of the Lady box. They are incredibly similar.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're very similar boxes and all. They use the same basic logo on either of them. And again, this is a limited edition, 3,100 boxes of 20 cigars. So with the success of the Spirit of the Lady, these are probably going to be forever more harder to get than those are.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I feel like we did bury the lead a little bit, you know, because you kind of mentioned the, the hybrid tobacco is really the, I mean, that's, that's really the piece to resistance here, is that could be what ushers in a new age in the tobacco that in, finds its way into our cigars.
1: Yeah, doing innovative things like that. And when you're a company like General and you've got lots of tobacco fields and you have the ability to do stuff like that, really makes a difference um, what is the reproducibility of hybrid blends though i wonder very high think so
0: so according to the press release here it was the results okay so it was intentional and anything when you're talking about cross-pollinating different species of things you know as long as you do it intentionally you know in in the you know in the first part of the grow house, it's very reproducible. Because remember, most tobacco is cloned anyway. You know, they do a lot of splicing and cloning. So yeah, I think this is highly reproducible compared to, let's say they accidentally, you know, because if I'm remembering correctly, and keep me honest on this, all of the tobacco that is planted for cigar production is female. So tobacco is one of the plants that there is a female and a male. Uh, each uh, there, there's there's each plant is either male or female. I don't remember. I don't know if that's true or not, but I seem to remember hearing that somewhere.
1: You know, you hear that about. Um, it's funny. I actually had a U.S. forestry book from the 1930s because it had tree identifications in it, and it was talking about the persimmon tree. And the persimmon tree was supposed to be male and female, and I think history has proven that's not okay. that's not accurate. And all uh, because I, I don't I've never heard a botanist refer to the gender of a plant. Uh,
0: yeah, and, and that it, yeah, it could be something that's since been disproven. I was going to go with the whole Jurassic Park thing of that if you're only you know if you're taking very good care to make sure pollination doesn't happen in the wild, then it it just further increases the predictability of your.
1: Keeping your bees on the leash, being sure a flock of murder hornets don't swing through. That's right. Do anything murder like that. Murder hornets are very poor pollinators, though. So, oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know. I've never sat down and had a cigar with one, <laughs> <laughs> but I will. I will take your word for it. But be interesting. Um, the uh, European, the forged cigar subsidiary of European tobacco giant Scandinavian Tobacco Group, but we both know them as kind of the offshoot of General. But I'll be interested to see when these come in. I'll, I'll definitely smoke one. Yeah, uh, I will too. But also, the other new cigar this week that I really wanted to talk about. I'm excited about this one. Punch Bento Box Sampler coming next month. So they're building this off of Japan, the Bento Box in Japanese cuisine, which I'm certain you probably know far more about than I do. I probably do.
0: Um, although I don't really know that much about it other than the fact that I've, um, I've eaten, you know, I've, I've ordered sort of a bento box type thing. You know. But I, I am curious what happened in Punch headquarters that gave them the Asian flavor the
1: last couple of years. The well, egg roll, the
0: chop suey, the bento
1: box now. Well, and I'm a little confused as to why they're taking cigars with Chinese names and putting them into a Japanese box. Seems, seems um, racially insensitive at best. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I, they're all Asian. Let's put them all together.
0: <laughs> see, I had the exact same. You're working my side of the I street now. I am working now, your side of the street. That is something I that I should be offended by, not you. <laughs> um, not that either one of us are actually offended by it. But, yeah, I do find that that's a little bit of a stretch, I think, I think ultimately what it was is someone in the marketing department really wanted to take, like I mentioned, you know, you've got all of these Chinese-based uh, or themed cigars, and you want to put package them all together, and this seems to be a close enough representation that it works.
1: Well, and I love the variety here, because here's my problem with these variety boxes. I hate when you pick up a variety box and there's like four of each cigar in it. And you're like, okay, so when I'm done with these four cigars, do I have to buy another box right. with eight cigars that I don't want in it? So they did twenty punch egg rolls, four and a half by fifties, a dozen chop suey, seven by thirty sevens, and ten kung pao, six by fifty two. So the majority of them are, you know, the twenty is the the robusto size, but I think that's the best size in that cigar. I think,
0: I think they all have slightly different blends, though. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah,
1: yeah. to all different blends. And I wouldn't I wasn't implying that. I'm just saying I think the egg roll, everybody I've talked to, is there multiple sizes in the egg roll or is that the no, only one that comes in? No, Each of these only came in one size. They only came in one size. So forty two smokes retail of two oh five fifty eight. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good deal. I mean forty two that's five bucks a cigar. Little, Roundabouts. Yeah, roundabout five bucks a cigar. Not bad deal. Not
0: far off from their regular retail price. I will clarify that it's an inexpensive smoke to begin with, uh, but still, I think even given that, it's still a good deal.
1: Yeah, I think I think this is gonna This is a good deal. I think this is a good piece of marketing. I think it'll be enjoyable. I'm I'm probably if I seen one of these boxes and was somewhere and wanted to pick up one, I wouldn't hesitate. Yeah, for sure. And also, um, but okay. When we get back, I do want to, before we close out this article, we're running into the break time. But I do want to talk about that for a minute because, you know, like the Monster Mash just come out. Right. Well, he's, does it limit a retailer's ability to sell cigars in that it's hard to sell them as a single stick?
0: Not something like that, I don't think. I Because the Monster series, the Monster Mash, is is its own animal. You know, that being said... Uh, Rocky No LFD Came out with the Steins The I think it was the 1994 blend Right That they came in the In the Steins And LFD forbade The brick and mortar Sellers To sell them as individuals You had to sell them As a box Right and I know firsthand that did limit their ability to move those.
1: Yeah, I just I wondered that. I wondered if, it, if, it, if a retailer, as a retailer, if I'm making an order, if it gives me pause to say, okay, I could order 10 boxes of these, but then I've got to make 10 sales in excess of 200.
0: Especially when it's a brand new blend like LFD's was. You know, At least this, I've had all of the cigars that are included in this, and I know what they taste like, and I know I like them. So even if I did have to buy this as a complete box purchase, I've had the, exp- the opportunity to get to know what I'm, what I'm getting into. LFD, in, by com- contrast, that was the first time anybody had had that blend. You couldn't taste it unless you bought it. Right.
1: You had to, you had to make a commitment. Exactly. It was a big commitment for that, for that cigar. You were, you were rolling the dice that you were going to like it, but it was at least in the decorative style. Oh, yeah. So you were kind of paying for the stein and getting the cigars. To a certain extent, for sure. But, okay, let's step away for a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the Ryder Cup and the celebration of the Americans in the Ryder Cup. And surpri- this will shock and surprise everybody that I have a wrestling article. <gasps> Say it ain't so. I, I don't usually talk about wrestling, but maybe just this time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, we'll be back with that more after this. <laughs>
1: back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who I'm gonna to try to talk him into naming his son Brock, Mr. Too late. Trey Deadman. Too late. Brock already been We tick- got we got a name. You got a name? We got a name. Okay, we'll have to ha- we'll have to do a big ceremony. And I'll but reconsider Brock Deadman. I hate the name Brock. he would have he would have a full ride from Notre Dame the day he was born. I hate the <laughs> name Brock. I've
0: known too many assholes named Brock.
1: <laughs> you think you think the name attracts that and mm-hmm. brings that out in people. Oh, if you've never had,
0: I mean, you've had to name dogs. So you kind of understand this a little bit. But if you've never had to name a kid, the the hardest thing in the world about choosing a name for a kid is realizing how many people in this world you absolutely hate. <laughs> because sure enough someone will throw out a name and you'll be like nope that was the name of my bully in high school i hated that guy you know, nope that was the name of the
1: guy that stole the rims off my car nope that was the name <laughs> well i had a new customer come in last week and his name was Brock very nice guy um absolutely wonderful guy and it's such an easy name to remember and then i thought brock deadman I mean that's 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 strong. It is strong. I'll give you <laughs> Considering both you and Noel's build, that neither one of you are built to necessarily produce a Brock, <laughs> it would be it would kind of be an interesting dichotomy. I'm, I'm really I, thinking you were to look at Brock Deadman. Actually,
0: <laughs> it's looking like baby's going to be a big boy. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh. Wow. So so there's there's some genes on her side that that could produce, uh, uh, not necessarily a lineman, but maybe an outside linebacker. Well, that's that's good. We're going to try to talk him out of football, but
1: (laughs) okay. Well, good. The best way to talk him out of football is to not act like you you care, right? (laughs) And if if you go your whole life saying whatever you do, don't play football, son.
0: Well, no, yeah, we (laughs) we
1: clearly understand that, but yeah, it's just a. um, I just I was just thinking Brock Deadman. I I really like that. If 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 I was going to, you know, every time a professional wrestler has to. Come in, comes in WWE. He has to change his name because they want to own the name. Right. Um, we're going to talk about AEW here in a little bit, and that's one of the things they've done very well is letting re- wrestlers keep their names. But I just, if I was, if I was looking for a non-deplume, Brock Deadman, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's strong. Yeah, I seem <laughs>
0: to remember that was a bit of, maybe not controversy, but that was a big thing with, with Dwayne Johnson, with The Rock, was that he actually somehow was able to own his name.
1: Well, you know, um, every, so everybody this week has been talking to Elvira on all the podcasts. She's been making the circuit. Yeah. And uh, she was on Corolla this morning. She was on the Bob and Tom show. She's she's really been making the circuit. And one of the things she said on Corolla, she said, I 100% own my character Elvira mistress of the dark because he said well don't you feel like you ever got pigeonholed into that character she said no she said I could do other things but I would but why would I do other things when I own this right and So there is a lot to just really owning that identity yeah Sheboygan Wisconsin this is from golfchannel.com
0: That's a city that is way more fun to say than visit Oh yeah speaking from personal
1: experience. Dustin Johnson led the Team USA to one of the mo- one of the biggest Ryder Cup victories in history. But can we talk about the Ryder Cup for a second? Sure. Uh, this is what I love about the Ryder Cup. On one side you got America, and on the other side, eh, everybody all of else. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all right. This is Team America. What's the one? Everybody that's not America. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just take them all. <laughs> At
0: what point do we give <laughs> Asia its own team? Because the Koreans have really been explosive in the golf world for the last little bit and slowly rising to prominence i feel like it's time to uh to, to add expand the rider i think so yeah
1: I, I would be up for that i would be up for that but then if you give the koreans their own team do you have to give the russian you know russia's part of europe russia's part of europe do you have to have an african golf team and an australian golf team absolutely I say say go for it.
0: Probably don't need an Antarctic golf team. Nope. That's hard to field a team. It's really hard to train penguins to swing a nine iron.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a great logo, their little penguin on their shirt. (laughs) And also, um, I got this article because Dustin Johnson was smoking cigars after winning the Ryder Cup. Right. And I couldn't identify uh, when I seen him smoking it on TV. I thought, boy, I need Trey here now to identify that cigar. Oh, I didn't see. And it. I've diligently looked and can't find a picture of him smoking the cigar on the internet. Oh, they scrubbed it. Oh, they yeah, it's been purged from from the record books for some reason. And uh, this just and this don't even mention the cigar. They just mentioned the cigar smoke.
0: Oh, that's so funny.
1: But I'm not going to dwell on this article because this isn't a golf podcast. Although this is the best time of the year to play golf, I took Monday off and went and played golf. You've been playing a lot of golf lately. I have. I've had the opportunity lately. I've had a really good year, and I've fired some customers, so I had some slack time in my schedule that I could go do some stuff that I wanted to do, and all as well as catch up on some stuff around the office. And also, I have got to play more golf this year. But um, just congratulations, Team USA, on winning the Ryder Cup. Because it always bothers me. To a degree, when the Europeans just trounce us, which happens more often than not, yeah, which does, and, and but, they got all
0: of Europe. I was about to say that's about like uh, putting a 3A high school up against a 5A high school.
1: Yeah, it, but it kind of, it feels good when the Americans really rally it all together. Yeah, and come forward. I I can really enjoy that. But okay, we alluded to this earlier, so I remember this segment well. This is from PW Mania. Chris Jericho speaks on the AEW segment that TNT executives are super angry about. So, a quick re- a quick wrestling history lesson. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it under 20 minutes. A quick wrestling history lesson. Um, AEW All Elite Wrestling was founded by wrestlers for wrestlers. And then Tony Khan actually put, put forth the money for them to have the funding to do what they have done. And what they have done is amazing. They've changed the wrestling business 100%. And, just like we were talking about in the first half of the show, wrestlers get to keep their own name, they get to use their own name, they get to own their own property, they sell their own merchandise. AEW does not does not penny any and nickel and dime them through the whole process. Yeah.
0: And did you say about their, their, uh, merchandise? Did yeah, you mention yeah. that?
1: Okay. Yeah. They, they actually, a lot of, they have a W and this is a great, this is a great way of doing it. They have AEW only merchandise like CM Punk, such a big deal in there. You can buy the AEW CM Punk shirt, or you can go to pro wrestling tees and buy the CM Punk wrestling shirt. And they don't downplay one over the other. Right. People are free to choose.
0: But especially for a young wrestler trying to break into the game, being able to earn money off of your own merchandise, just like any of the, you know, one song ponies that that tour the bars around here, they make their money not from the door, but from the merch table.
1: Well, and I could spend the rest of the show talking about all the stuff AEW has done right and all the things you've heard me after the show numerous times Mm -hmm. talk about what they've got going on. But this is what interested me. I remember this segment, the inner circle, Chris Jericho's group, five guys catch Dustin Rhodes in the parking lot, beat him senseless, slam his hand in a car door, break his hand, beat him down, you know, within an inch of his life. And as they're getting ready to drive off, Chris Jericho lights a cigar. And TNT threw a fit that Chris Jericho lit us. Never mind the man that they just... Literally broke his hand in a car door and beat him to death, and left him for dead. (laughs) Yeah, and left him for dead. And uh, I, oh, so, so would you rather? Right. (laughs) Would you rather your child think it's okay to have a cigar every now and then, or think it's okay to beat someone to death in a parking lot? Yeah. Well, it's it's so
0: funny too because I feel like this has largely gone away. I feel like this was very much a product of the era. But I remember back in the late '90s when my friends and I were into wrestling. In the Attitude Era. And all of a sudden, it became this huge epidemic in this country of kids jumping off roofs onto uh, barbed wire pits and backyard wrestling. It was a huge issue, and there was a a, a lot of marketing money spent by uh, WWF at the time to stop people from doing this and to make sure— like. It was—people were getting hurt. People were sent to the hospital. Because of seeing stuff like that on TV, I'd have much rather found my 13-year-old behind the woodshed sneaking a cigar. Yeah, it's— I still don't want either one of those. But given the nature of
1: the two, you know. Well, you know, it's just—it's interesting to me, you know, for—before COVID, the pre-COVID era— Adam Cole would come, or not Adam Cole, Adam um, Page would come to the ring, and somebody in the audience would just hand him a beer. Right. And he'd drink the beer on the way to the ring. Oh, Stone Cold. Let's talk about how much beer was drank back in that era. Why does the cigar industry never point out um, the absurdity of the amount of alcohol consumed, advertised, pitched as, you know, mommy's little helper versus the evil cigar.
0: It's, it's, you know, I've talked about it a bunch and I think it's one of the great injustices is the fact that we have such a alcohol culture in this country, which does far more damage than cigars. Now I admit cigarettes are a problem. They, they cause their own set of problems But cigars being a completely different animal, I think it's really silly. And I think it has, I think it has large, is largely to do with the fact that it's such a niche subset of tobacco use that didn't really have the, the reach to get in front of this and say, no, we're different.
1: Well, I think it's that. And I also think it's cultural. I think culturally alcohol created you're now a man, you can have a beer. After a hard day's labor, have a beer. Or after a, a long day of organizing pennywinkles at the house, mommy can have a glass of wine at night. And I think they created that culture. And then the, you don't organize your pennywinkles? Uh, not No, I just... You just let them run I wild? I just let them run wild. Oh, wow. But after the where the cigar industry, as we've talked about, got branded as we're all the monopoly man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I almost dropped my monocle the other day when we was watching football. It was awful. But I just um, I don't understand how two things can be so... How one can be so poorly portrayed when the other is so... To the point that a major Turner network is saying, we will cancel you if you light another cigar on the show. Meanwhile, isn't Turner a cigar guy? I don't know. i He's one of those people that he's never said anything worth listening to to me. I'll give you that. I mean, politically, whatever your, whatever your thoughts are politically on life are your own. But I've never, Ted Turner has never offered anything to the collective. There's never been a thought, you know, even you, politicians I hate eventually will say something I will agree with. And, but Ted Turner's never said a word that I thought was worthy of agreeing with. So, but it is interesting. One of the fun parts about being a wrestling fan is the terminology. You know, when someone starts talking to you and they say, oh yeah, Dustin getting his hand broken a car. Was that a work or was, did they actually mess up a work means they did it just for TV. Right. Or you talk about heels and you talk about faces and you talk about kayfabe and you talk about this whole lexicography of terms that are when wrestling fans start communicating with one another. Right. I mean, Jim Rome built his entire sports career off of training people to talk like him.
0: Well, and that's so much of, of broadcasting, especially around sports broadcasting. Is is really in developing a language that becomes part of your brand? Think about the word "booyah." I mean, that is that's a word that everyone has used at least once. Everyone knows about it, and it was it was born out of out of sports commentary.
1: Sure, yeah. There's you know, and every every famous announcer has their own catchphrase. Right. You know, it's it's out of here. It's whatever.
0: Forgive me, I've not watched a lot of
1: sports (laughs) 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 at all, but I I know enough about it to know that that stuff exists, even if I can't cite examples of it. But we do this. Is this a human instinct? Because my wife and I, we have terms that we use. When I say to my wife, what's your 100%? She knows that the next thing she says is going to be very important, that I am asking for an answer there's no there's no hedging there's no more it is this is the end of the ambiguity i am requesting from you an answer you know whether it's where are we going for dinner do you want to buy this or not whatever what's your 100% when i say that she knows that's a that's an impactful thing
0: we have a we have a similar thing in my house which is basically everything that we experience in life is on a scale of 1 to 10
1: that's 3
0: yeah that's 3 So everything that we experience in life. And so it's, it's a great conversational tool when we find ourselves at an impasse over a given topic. And it becomes that reset point. Where are you on this one? I'm at a seven. Okay, well, I'm at a 10. Like, that's how important this is to me. I'm willing to stake it all on this. Okay. And then we can negotiate. And we can come to an agreement and a compromise from that point, knowing what degree of give and take is necessary for each party.
1: Well, but it's even, you know, in our friendship, I know when you say this is a hill I'm willing to die on, that it's very important to you. Right. 90% of the time, a hill you're willing to die on, I'm not willing to visit. Right. And all. it's just it's just a difference in who we are. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. I wonder what it is about human beings that makes us create this this different talk when we're talking to one another. I think, I think it's largely,
0: I bet if you traced its roots back, you would find a lot of similarities between this type of behavior and the Japanese haiku. So the whole five, seven and five syllables, the whole purpose behind the five, but behind the haiku was to take very complex ideas and philosophies and boil them down into a handful of syllables. And they're supposed to be very interpretable and have lots of hidden meaning and some symbolism and things like that. And I feel like what we're talking about is very, very similar in that it takes a complex idea and reduces it down to a small point. And I've got a great example for that, but you were going to say something. Oh, no, go ahead. So this is another one that we use in my house a lot Um, because I'm a a doer. One of the ways that I feel fulfilled in life is doing things for other people. That makes me happy, and I get a sense of fulfillment out of that. So when someone starts talking about how do you define love in a relationship, or whether it's for another person— um, that you're sort of romantically involved with, married, or whether it's any type of relationship, um, how do you define love? And the way we, I talk about it is that, so I like green grapes. And that is just, I mean, I like grapes. Red grapes are fine, I guess, if you have to, but I like green grapes. My wife likes red grapes and feels the same way about green as I do about red. Whenever I go grocery shopping and grapes are on the list, I bring home red grapes. Whenever she goes shopping and grapes are on the list, she brings home green grapes. And so when conversations or topics around our house come about, like you're doing too much or you need or whatever, I can stop the whole conversation. Just say red grapes. And as soon as I say red grapes, she knows all of what is behind what I'm doing. And it boils a very complex idea about service in a relationship and, and love in a relationship down to two words.
1: It's, that's an interesting take on it. That's an interesting theory on why this this phenomenon develops. My, my take on it is a little more pragmatic in that I think it comes from... The need to communicate things, not necessarily in a public manner. You know, when my nephew was young, he was a very excitable child. And he would get, he, it would snowball. His excitement would snowball till basically he was just running around yelling, and it was annoying, quite frankly. And all, and him and his mama worked out a system where she would just look at him and she said, kaboom, it meant, okay, you've got to chill out. Yeah. you know, dude maintain as Corolla would say. And there's times when it's nice to be able to communicate in public without necessarily saying um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm about right.
0: to beat you senseless <laughs>
1: well what about <laughs> what about say you know when when I get when I'm done with my first cigar here that night, you know on Friday, if I get done with my first cigar, before I light the second cigar, I will walk over by my wife and say, "Hey, are you good?" And she knows that is me saying to her, "Are you ready to go home now, or are you good? Are you in for another hour and a half?" And it's a very easy thing for her to say. Then at that point, I know if she says, "Ace needs let out," that she's done. Right. I know that if she comes up with if she comes up with anything other than yes, I'm good, then we've communicated to one another that, okay, it's now time to escape.
0: And you've established the baseline that the question is being asked with no expectation of a certain answer, and the answer will be received at face value. Like, it's just, it's, it's a transactional conversation at that point.
1: Well, and, you know, my brother and I use it. My brother and I disagree on a lot of things. Almost as much as we disagree on. Probably. Pretty close. And when we reach a point in the conversation where the conversation is no longer productive... We just say, okay, I have to agree to disagree. Like us and talking about crypto. Yeah. We just need to stop having that
0: conversation. Yeah, at, a, at
1: a certain point, we just have to agree to disagree. And I mean, I use a version of that where I say, well, I hope you're right. Yeah. And when I say, I hope you're right, that means I'm wrapping it up. That yeah. means I, I, I may or may not hope you're right, but I hope you're right. <laughs> that's a, that's, it's a uh, bit
0: more condescending than agree to disagree, but. <laughs> sure, sure.
1: Well, you know, you, you play the hands you dealt. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and all, but there and there are times. I, I legitimately hope you're right about crypto. I legitimately hope that this becomes another means by which people become rich. Absolutely. And all, I don't believe it ever will, but I would love to be wrong. And that situation wouldn't bother me at all to be wrong. But it's kind of, um, I think it stems from a practicality, especially if you have a, um, it's much nicer to say to someone, Hey, honey, we need to go home and walk the dog and say, Hey, honey, you've drank enough. Right. You know, or Hey, honey, let me drive. Why don't I drive home? Or, you know, it's a lot nicer rather than embarrassing in front of the friends saying, Hey, you're, you're three sheets of the wind. It's time for you to quit.
0: Yeah. And it is, it's funny how, how those things develop oftentimes out of a joke or out of an experience you know, I saw something really funny on uh, the Internet a couple of days ago, and it was this dad relaying a, a conversation with his six-year-old. He says Because apparently one time when the kid was two and a half, he burnt a grilled cheese. So he mm. asked his six-year-old, what do you want for lunch? Not a burnt grilled cheese. <laughs> so it, it's just amazing how certain... Scenarios, certain uh, experiences can can be tied into such simple phrases that have a universal meaning to the people who are in the know. But it goes beyond inside joke to me.
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think it goes beyond. It's, it's like I said, it's almost, you know, wind talkers. You're almost talking in code. But, you know, and everybody out there that speaks two languages, can I say something on behalf of all of us? If you speak two or more languages... If English is not your native language, if you are sitting with me somewhere and you look over at your spouse and you start speaking gibberish in another language, that is the rudest thing you can do as a human being. I don't care. I'll still do it. It's the rudest possible thing as one to one. It's like, OK, now I'm going to say something that's not for your ears. And are we having a conversation or not? So uh,
0: I, so sometimes. So I agree with you on principle. There are definitely times when you're at a dinner party and it's the middle, you know, let's say it's the middle of the evening. It's not even remotely time to go home or anything like that. And you just, in the middle of a conversation, clearly divert something that I don't want anybody else to know about. This is, you know, that, that definitely has a level of, of rudeness to it. But my wife and I both speak in quotes, sign language. And it is a great way for us to communicate something to the other that's not germane to the conversation, doesn't need to take away from the conversation. Something as simple as, I'm going to go get another drink. Do you want some water? Do you want – like, I can very simply ask her what she needs before I separate without having to derail the conversation.
1: So can't you just make the little – Thumb to the
0: mouth Well, sign. the sign for water is this. So it's basically, I mean, it's the same thing, but it allows me to, that's just one example. There are other things that are slightly more complex than, <laughs> more or less. And, but it's, you know, because oftentimes in those scenarios, or like, like in here is a great example on Friday evenings, there's usually six of us standing around a circle having one conversation. And... You know, it would be rude, even if still in English, to derail the conversation to ask something that's
1: d- seemingly unimportant or off-topic. So I can see the usage there. No, see, I like the power move. I like the when the conversation is going on, say, excuse me for a moment, and step over there and ask your question to your wife, and then step back into the conversation. And I, I, th- I think that's socially very acceptable. I think that
0: draws more attention to it than than switching languages for two sentences.
1: Uh, now, if you, now the sign language thing, if you're across the room from each other and you need to sign at one another and everybody in the immediate circle around you, but I'm not really even speaking that so much. as just the people that blatantly start talking to each other in a different language apropos of nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a full-on conversation, just like you said, step away. But if it's a couple of sentences, I don't mind. Yeah, it's just, Especially uh, if it's, we shouldn't have had that Taco Bell for lunch. I'm about to go crap my brains out. I'll be back in 10 minutes.
1: Well, but you should know each other's body language well enough by now that that, 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 that becomes an issue. Yeah, well. And uh, I mean, there, there comes a point where you've been together for a certain amount of time. You shouldn't need to speak Pashti to, to be able to communicate that sentiment. But I'm arguing from the general to the specific. I recognize that. But OK, let's talk about the Placentia. You are not going to like this. Um, it's a good solid six for me. It's a solid six. Um, might could argue it up to six and a half, might not. And I probably couldn't argue it at less than a six. It's good. It hits my palate right. It's still not soundly in my flavor wheelhouse. But it's definitely a solid six. I'm giving
0: it a seven and a half.
1: You can't. Yes, I can. No longer. No. So. Yep. The, this... If you, you destroy the whole system, you may give it a Seven. But a seven and a half destroys the entire system. It's that good. It's worth burning so, this mother down. So for a seven and a half, that has to be... The best cigar I've ever had. The best cigar you've ever had.
0: Yeah. I will smoke this over a Padron any day. See, I that, yeah. absolutely think this is the best cigar on the market and the best cigar I've ever had.
1: Yeah. So you could never talk me into that with this cigar. There, there There's no... And I don't think you could hand but now to be fair I don't think you could hand this to anybody and if you handed it to 10 people and you say is that the best cigar you ever had nine and a half of them would say no it's a good cigar um I think for it to be a seven and a half it would have to you would have to be able to get at least six out of ten to say yes is the best cigar I ever had I just don't think it can it can get it now to that but to that point if you handed out 10 Padron 80th, you probably still couldn't get to six. Right. You know, when you say the best cigar I've ever had, that's, that's a, a loud, proud boast. That's and, very And I've had it
0: just on a random Friday. I've had it on my birthday. I've had it just on a random, you know, Saturday afternoon. Like there is, and now I'm having one here. Each one of them has been as good or better than the last. And so I know it's not an emotional thing. I know it's the cigar speaking on its own terms, and I mean it. Uh, th- there is no cigar I would rather smoke than this one.
1: Well, that's I, you. You back it up. That's a bold claim. And I don't like issuing seven and a halfs for any reason whatsoever. I don't think in my life I could ever issue a seven and a half. But hey, if you can issue a seven and a half and sleep tonight, then it's yours.
0: To be fair, part <laughs> of it came from how much it was going to annoy you. Sure, sure. But, yeah, I I feel wholly confident in saying that. That's how much I enjoy
1: this cigar. Yeah, I, do, I just I don't think you could get two out of ten to say this is the best cigar they ever had. And all, it would be interesting to... It'd almost be worth purchasing a box just to see. And hand it to ten people. Hand it to, hand it to 10, ten cigar smokers. Now, I'm not talking about your guys that just have a cigar in their hand. I'm right. talking about cigar nerds. I'm talking about the guys... The people like
0: us that analyze what they're smoking
1: guys that really really know what they're doing hand it to them and see if you could get i don't think you could get two to say the best they ever had but i like i said i don't think it'd be tough to get two to say the best they ever had of any cigar right and all but i'm i'm thrilled to death that you enjoy it that much i think that largely comes from the fact
0: that sorry to step on i i appreciate that uh I think that largely comes from so many people when they think about the best cigar they ever had, they think about where they were when they smoke it. And it's really hard to separate those two. That's four. That's four.
1: Well, yeah, you know, um, one of my builders today, he brought me a Winston Churchill Davidoff of some kind that he had bought at the Tokyo Olympics. And he had bought a box of them just for when he went moose hunting. It was their celebratory cigar when they killed a moose. That deserves
0: its own cigar.
1: Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to um, it's kind of you can't really rank that cigar based on the cigar when right. it's brought in from Tokyo and smoked in Alaska after you've killed a moose. It really, that really, the cigar really loses a lot of its value, or and, uh, or gains a lot of, or yeah, gains a lot. Well, the cigar loses value; the experience gains value. Yeah. And all. But how do they get a hold of
0: us, Trey? You can reach us at Facebook.com slash the Cigar Cast or on Instagram and Twitter at the Cast or email info at the cigarcast.com.
1: See, we just did it again. That's talking in code. When I say how do they get a hold of us, Trey, you know I have nothing left to say. <laughs> the only thing I have left to say at the end of that is have a great cigar and thank well of us.